You're listening to You Should Read This, a comic book and graphic novel review and discussion podcast. My name is Ryan. And I'm Alan. And today we're talking about the first two volumes of the new, quote-unquote, new Captain Marvel comic. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, it's from 2014, but it is sort of the relaunch? Yeah, it's Captain Marvel as you know her now. Right. The, the first appearance of the current modern version of Captain Marvel. Right, that makes sense. We want to be, yeah, the, the 2013, 2014 ones, the first volume is called In Pursuit of Flight, and it's got an Addy Granoff cover. Uh, it is definitely, I think, like, this is the thing where, this is the reason we have the, the Captain Marvel movie right now. Yeah, I mean, the person who makes an appearance besides Stanley in that movie is the writer of this comic book, Kelly Sue DeConnick. Right. Uh, speaking of female uh, additions to the team, we have a guest uh, speaker? What? Host? A guest host? A guest. A host. Just, just call yeah. it a guest. We have a guest, uh, and it happens to be my wife, Hi. Jenna. Yay. <laughs> yeah, we're, this is the first time we're doing anything guest-related, like on this show or the old show, essentially. I'm just a very convenient addition since I live with one of the hosts. So That's true, but also you have uh, an extensive history with me and reading comment, so it makes it easier. That's fair. I, 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 our... I was at your wedding. Yeah. <laughs> right. You guys for a while. And you, you can, you can uh, cop to the fact that it was, in fact, a comic book uh, wedding that we had. It's true. I wore X-Men cufflinks. Oh, uh, yeah. I forgot that we did that, sorry. Yeah. I didn't, like, forget. But... I also signed your marriage license. Yeah, but that's because I didn't trust one of the other two Goopers to do it. I don't blame you. <laughs> I wouldn't either. I would have trusted Ryan over. Oh, and they don't even listen, listen to the to show, this. so they'll, they'll <laughs> never know that we've said this. That's true. They don't care. They, once they were, they're done with comics forever, it's apparently. Hard to, take it, hard to not take it personal. <laughs> okay. So. Welcome, Jenna. Uh, we're glad to have you on the show. Aw, thanks. Um, so we are going to talk about the first two trades in this series? Yeah. Um, which, it, uh, a lot happens. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot to go over. So let's start with... Uh, I mean, if a lot because this is sort of like the reimagining of uh, of Captain Marvel, maybe we should do a little bit of Captain Marvel like backstory. We don't need to do too much, but just a little bit. Sure, um, I feel like it's been in the news a lot because of the movie, right? Which y'all saw the movie, right? Uh, yes, we did see it. Okay, mm-hmm. good. All right, we can we can maybe we'll put that on the table and and pick it up towards the end of the show and talk briefly about the movie. Yeah, we'll maybe put that at the end so we can sort of make call, uh, uh, do the contrasting and comparison ending. Yeah, and, and just for our listeners, we are recording pre-endgame. The endgame <laughs> has not yet occurred, so... Right, uh, that no is spoilers, true. I guess. So by the time you hear this, you'll be wondering why we're not talking about, you know, how cool no, Captain endgame, Marvel was endgame in Endgame. Doesn't, well, this show will be out, you know, hopefully before Endgame. Hopefully. I got my game together. Ha <laughs> ha! <laughs> nice. Bad. So, uh, so yeah. a little bit of backstory is that this is this is like the the Captain Marvel rebranding. Yeah, it's almost like a relaunch. I feel like like obviously there's a like the Captain Marvel character has been around for a long time, as has Miss Marvel Carol Danvers, but this is the first time that Miss Marvel Carol Danvers became referred to as Captain Marvel. I think it's far right. as more. Right. Before that, uh, you know, she was like sort of a, an ancillary 
ancillary am i saying that right ancillary character who is sort of like off to the side for the most part um like heavily featured i don't think i don't think she was really all up in mainstream comics i want to say until um like civil war started like when that whole sort of post-civil war modern comics like modern marvel comics era started so sort of like early mid 2000s which seems like not that long ago but really is like 15 or 20 years ago now yeah it's definitely a ways uh but yeah i mean she had she had been around in sort of the 80s and the 90s she has a very kind of 90s costume i think um but she got a full comic uh costume redesign for this one too yeah no so they so they sort of i think that she was and i'm gonna i don't know much about marvel continuity and honestly this (laughs) is the first book for this show that we've read that's been part of a main big two continuity i guess it's true yeah and part of that was part of that was hard for me because we've mostly read mangas or um you know graphic novels or you know at least even for some of it's been like image limited series or image ongoing series but they're just you know it's just east of west or it's just wicked and divine it's not like there's no other like no pieces to the universe or there's no the x-men to deal with right (laughs) which is true Uh, this one so this book had a lot of like Hey, it's it's this character. It's Monica Rambo, and it's like, oh well. I mean, I know who she is because of Red Next Wave, but right or uh, the Defenders, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> if you were no, uh, like, it took me it took me two issues to figure out who is the, who is her friend Jessica. Like, oh, it's Spider Woman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It took me like way too long to figure that one out. Well, she said Jessica Drew, but yeah, I guess Jessica Jessica Drew and Spider Woman. Yeah. No, I was like Jessica Drew, and I'm like, oh, I I've heard that name before, and then. The lady in the co- the costume shows up like, oh, I know that that's Spider Woman. Oh, 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 that's who Jessica Drew is. It's Spider Woman. That's why that. Okay, yeah. makes sense. Spider Woman made a huge comeback in sort of that same era when Bendis was writing Avengers. Yeah, because that was definitely like a Bendis character. I mean, she was featured in Civil War a decent amount. Yeah, yeah. yeah, she I was think... like a MacGuffin actually. <laughs> a little a good bit. Point. Um, I don't remember this part of of Civil War. Oh yeah, she was like a. She was definitely like a main. Uh, uh, like person who was pushing the plot forward because she was sort of playing, um, like the secret agent type. Oh and yeah, she, yeah. She got back in the costume, like when the raft was broken into, and every and all the. Oh yeah. Oh gosh. She was the one that was like, "Oh, I'm working for Shield. I haven't been a superhero for so long." Um, uh, this is gonna be very confusing to listeners who don't know who Spider Woman is, uh, because we're using she a lot. And we're talking about Captain Marvel, so let's rein it in a little bit. But... Sure. So Spider okay. Woman's in this, but she's yeah. not. In, she doesn't really show up until the second trade, right? Yeah, and and we should probably talk about these. But we're still talking about the backstory before we even get to these two trades. But I think that like Miss Marvel was sort of she had been sidelined for a bit for a few years, and then. Captain Marvel, who is the Kree warrior Marvel, yes, mm-hmm. correct, had just died, right, and, and and he had been around and like he had a, I think he had a son, yeah, that was also like took up the Captain Marvel. So like Captain Marvel was always inhabited by either Marvel or a secondary Scree, uh, Scree, a secondary Kree character, um, who was a dude. So and, and let's. Lest we confuse everyone more, this is not to be confused with the DC Comics Captain Marvel, a.k.a. Right. Shazam. 
<laughs> right, but I honestly, like, I don't remember exactly what year that happened, that rebranding, because that was... Yeah, DC hasn't called him Captain Marvel in at least 15 or 20 years. Right, but I, I think that this Captain Marvel, like, getting the rebrand and becoming more popular definitely pushed DC to be like, well, we definitely can't do that anymore. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I it's it's funny, like, if you watch mainstream comics, um, every so often they'll release a couple of books, and usually it's it's frustrating to me because usually it's, like, really fun, interesting books that are, like, a bunch of one-and-done stories or a bunch of one-shots done by really cool teams. Um, it'll be, like, strange sports stories or or one of those, and you realize later, like, weird war tales, you realize later it's, like, Oh, they just didn't want to lose the copyright they had on the name of this book, so they have to put something out. I'm always like, "Oh man, this is gonna be awesome!" And then it's like two issues, and that's it. And because they're like, "Yeah, we have fulfilled our needs to maintain this copyright." Yep, which is I mean, IP. This is the name of the game. And so I, I feel like there's a little, there's a little part of the occasional rebirth of characters where it's some lawyer, someone being like, "Hey, yeah, we need to, we need to like push this one just a little bit more." Yeah, we got to get this in here somewhere so that we can say we did. Um, Jen, as far as like your knowledge and experience with this character goes, pre-reading this, do you have any like, did you have pre-assumptions or pre-knowledge or anything like that? Actually, I wasn't really. Um, who was it that let me borrow that book? I think it was Adam. Adam Cools, who was awesome, probably the only person who listens to this other than <laughs> me. Um, but. He, <laughs> He lent me this book when I was a few years ago, I think, when it first came out, and so that was my first introduction to her. But I had all I'd heard of Miss Marvel, but I had, and so I remember I remember thinking, "Oh my God, Captain Marvel's a girl," because I was so kind of stuck in that whole. Okay, I know of Captain Marvel. I didn't read anything about him, but I knew he was a guy, and so I was really curious to see like how they would even transfer that over, and you don't get that immediately from this first trade you have none of that backstory until like about halfway through so i remember reading it and i was just utterly confused i'm like why are they traveling through time right now this Mm -hmm. is giving me nothing um but you know once you finish the whole trade it makes a lot more sense but i remember just being really confused um i mean she's cool (laughs) yeah i mean she's she's definitely like designed to be rough and tumble and and like let's start some let's start some stuff and and i'll finish like she says multiple times in this book like give me something to hit or like oh gosh i really hope there's something that i can beat up right now like that's her whole personality is she's a bruiser but that can fly also yeah but see that makes my 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 therapist sense tingle (laughs) because because oh for i'm i'm a therapist by trade (laughs) pre-licensed um but yeah, but that does like make my therapist sense tingle because in there's like little bits and pieces throughout the whole comic that you just pick up on so much self-doubt. Yeah. And that, did... that's what I like about her is because, yeah, you can tell pretty easily that all that bruiser attitude is just overcompensation because of like all the pressure she feels, even taking on the name or the mantle of Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's really cool how subtle yet blatant it is through the whole thing. Actually, that's probably, now that we have a a little bit of backstory, like, a good place to start our elevator pitches. Um, Jen, why don't you go first? If you had to, like, tell somebody about this book and describe the character in, like, three to four sentences, 
You can't just say, yeah, like the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't say that. You have to like give them a good idea of what, who the character is and what the book is about in as, as little words as possible. As little words as possible. Yeah. That's a tough one. Yes. Okay, let me think. Wish you guys had told me this ahead of time. I would have prepped something. Well, um, if you want, we can make Ryan go first. That's what no, Alan no. usually does. I, <laughs> I, feel, I feel like it would influence what I would say a little too much because okay. I have lots of respect for Ryan. Sure. More than I do for you. That's fair. Um, give me a second. Let me see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ryan wins. Um, let's see. Adrenaline junkie female Air Force pilot. Um, Turned superhero via alien DNA. Is that right? Um, no, yeah, alien tech. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know. Oh, God, this is hard. Yeah, Ryan, you go first. All right. <laughs> I can't um, even think. Maybe of we'll that. just edit that out. Okay, <laughs> I'll leave all of it in. <laughs> no. A big pause. Um, it's. Um, I mean, it's sort of like classic flawed superhero from Marvel. With, who's an actual person with actual feelings and actual life experiences. And these books sort of give us sort of an understanding of her life experiences that lead her to the way she's acting now that she's taken on this mantle and is realizing that she is quite possibly more powerful than anybody realized. Yeah. Um, I would say it is uh previous female character who uh it gets a rebranding and a rewriting and becomes uh much more relevant and stronger and way uh and basically just takes on the universe on her own which i think is really cool okay so are these elevator pitches about the character or about the, the sections we've read you, so like anybody's listening to this that hasn't read this or doesn't know this book exists like you're you're basically just giving them like a couple sentences of hey, this is what this book is about, or at the very least, trying to sell them on it. Yeah, in this particular case, it's kind of both about the character and about the actual stories. Uh, I guess if it was the stories, I'd be like, time travel shenanigans in World War II and fighting dinosaurs. Okay, so I feel like I would say then, elevator pitches are not my thing, <laughs> but um, underdog female Air Force pilot Becomes superhero and realizes she's brimming with power and potential. Yeah, that's pretty good. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Short That'll and work. sweet. Yeah, it works. Um, okay, so we have one writer, right? Or two writers? Um, for the first volume, the writer is, I think, just Kelly Sue DeConnick. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Chris Sabella joins on the second volume as like a okay. co-writer. Yeah. Because I... Um... The other thing they do uh, very well is they do the um, editorials in the back of the book, which I actually read a good chunk of this time because I was very interested in like people's reactions to this new character and this new branding, and we'll probably talk about it later. <laughs> There's a lot of things that were said in that. Um, I didn't read any of those. I was just trying to get through all these before work. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a lot. Well, in those, it's it's Stephen Wacker and Santa Amnat. Uh, who end up doing both of those. I think the first few issues, oh. it's Steve Wacker. And then after that... Well, I know Kelly Sue like was called upon to like actually come in on some of those, but I didn't realize it yeah. was those two specifically. Yeah, because that's, that's, that's the Marvel way, is the editor is typically in charge of the letters page. Mm. And I, I mean, I've read a bunch of articles about it, but the story behind the book is that 
Stephen Wacker, the editor, was like, hey, we want to relaunch Miss Marvel as Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Kelly Sue DeConnick, do you want to get in on this? And she said, hell yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he's like, cool. And she's like, well, we need a new costume. This costume sucks. <laughs> and they did some in-house stuff. And she's like, yeah, I don't, none of these are good. And he's like, look, we don't have budget for a costume. But if a new costume happened to fall across my desk, we could find some money to pay the artist. Mm-hmm. And so, and and that's and then so, Kelly Sudeikonik emailed Jamie McKelvey and was like, "Look, I I bet you that if you do a new Captain Marvel costume, then Marvel will pay you, and if they mm-hmm. don't, then I'll pay you." Is that like one of Jamie McKelvey's like first big gigs? Uh, it kind of is because if you look at because they call him out at the end of the first issue, and it's like Jamie McKelvey who's done Phonogram yeah. and some work on the Defenders, and I'm like. Oh boy, this is a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's older than we think it is. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, it kind of was. It was he'd already done a little bit of Marvel work, but it was one of his his early sort of big deals. Jimmy McKelvey now is like, he's like the dude that if you ever wanna if you ever wanna make a character that looks great and is super pretty, Jimmy McKelvey is like. Well, yeah, and it. he does Wicked and Divine. They're almost finished. They got two. Three issues left? Two issues left? His whole thing is that he was, like, uh, really influenced by, like, mod culture. Yeah. Like, his whole... Ooh. <laughs> yeah. His whole, like, style and, like, drawing came from, like, drawing uh, from mod culture magazines. Like, that's what he was, like, referencing a lot of. When yeah. He, like, when he started. Uh, we went to a panel one time where he was talking about going to shows in... Well, this is when he was living in... Was it England? Yeah, in London. Right? So he would, like jump from a uh, small village to f- small village wherever they were playing and like go see people at shows. Um, but yeah, so sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, but that's not who did the art. That's just the character designer. And then he did do some of the covers for the second volume. Right. But that costume, I mean, that's the whole thing is this costume, I think probably one of the most iconic costume changes mm-hmm. in definitely like cap has had several costumes in the last year. Uh, you know, in the last couple of years, especially since this came out. Um, and all of them sort of look the same, but none of them have been as drastic or, like, as recognizable as Captain Marvel's change. Like, going from that black and yellow, like, one-piece swimsuit-looking thing to, like, a full-on flight suit doing the <laughs> the Gundam colors for all... <laughs> yeah, the, of course. The uh, red, white, blue, and yellow. Um, like, it's it's very iconic and works with the characters so well. Um, but anyway, long story short, we also have other artists. <laughs> Ryan, who are those? Uh, so for the first volume, it's mostly Dexter Soy, and he's just credited as artist. So uh, he's doing pencils, inks, and colors, and the the pages are really painted. Mm-hmm. They're very. It, it's it, it's a very unique look. Yeah, and we'll, when we talk about art later, we'll circle back around to that. But everybody, every artist that works on these two volumes has a very distinctive style. Yeah, and then there's a couple of fill-in artists on a couple of issues where, like, there's two or three pages by a couple of people. Uh, and I'm not going to look those up right now. Um, and then there's two issues in this first volume done by Emma Rios with uh, colors by Jordi Belair. And they have done... Emma Rios worked with... Uh, Kelly Sudeikonik on Pretty Deadly, and she's done a lot of her own indie stuff. She had this book called ID that was part of the Island 
um, anthologies that I really enjoyed. Yeah, um, I remember those. But those, there's two issues that look much more like they're coming from an image publisher than you know mm-hmm. from Image than they are from Marvel, and those are the Emmy, Emma Rios and uh, Jordi Belair books, and there are issues. And then the second volume, there are a lot of people who did art. It's kind mm-hmm. of it's kind of complicated. Uh, but Dexter Soy does an issue. Um, those are the those are the Monica Rambo underwater giant robot issues, and then it's Felipe and- Andrade who does the remainder of the volume, and his is a very cartoony style, and it's definitely sort of impressionistic over um, over what do you call it when it's like drawn anat- anat- anatomical. Mm-hmm. His his art is definitely much more impressionistic, and the colors seem to be uh, almost watercolor style. Yeah, it's it's definitely a much very 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 stylistic would be a yeah. good word for it. And so it it works following Dexter Soy, but it's it's still it's very painterly, but in a much different way. Right. And then uh, Joe Quinones does covers with Jamie McKelvey on the second volume. Um. Let's talk about uh the let's talk about the first volume because that's kind of where this whole thing kicks off, where we have um her uh being Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel, um like just right out the gate, like getting a little bit of hero cred by teaming up with Captain America. So like if you were unsure about this character, like fitting into the Marvel universe and kicking a lot of butt, just like oh yeah, she's best friends with Captain America and also can order him around. <laughs> She outranks him. Yeah, and outranks him. <laughs> She's like, technically, I'm a colonel, so I outrank you. I thought that was good. And because that's like right before she decides to start going as Captain Marvel, right? Right. So like the first issue, I think they do a real good job of introducing the character as, hey, we know that you probably don't know this character, but we know them. We know her really well. We want to show her off to you, um, and we want to reflect everybody's discourse about like, who this character is and what she's capable of, just right there in the first issue. Like, put all of that public thought process and character development right there in the first 20 pages. Uh, So that way, going forward, we don't have to talk about this again. Like, you wanted answers to what we think about, uh, what we think about her taking the name versus getting a new costume versus this, that, and the other thing. It's all right there in the first issue. That's all you have to do. Everything after that is, okay, we're actually going to make a comic now. Like, you had your chance to speak up at issue one. This is the rest of the comic. At least that was my impression of it. No, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. And I think the fact that they have her team up with Captain America in that, and you see that dynamic of the kind of reluctance, quippiness, yet begrudging respect, kind of emphasizes, to the fact that, hey, this isn't just someone we're throwing in. This is someone who we almost expect you to respect as much as you know, Cap does. Right. Ryan, what do you think of that first issue? Yeah, that first issue. And then we still, and we get beginning of her backstory. We get some, some stuff about Helen Cobb uh, and about her brother. Right. And then in the second issue, we just, let's just travel back in time. So this is kind of like what I was talking about with the uh, reading the editor stuff, because there was somebody uh, that sent in an article or sent in a, a thing that said, uh, I'm a little disappointed the first arc is a time travel arc. I think this was later on, but and I was I was actually thinking of the same thing. I'm like, really the first thing we're gonna do with this new character is take her back in time to World War II? 
first of all, like DC and Marvel, like that's their bread and butter. Like let's go back in time to World War II. More than likely you have a 50-50 shot at that point of there also being dinosaurs. <laughs> because those are the two <laughs> and there were. those are the two toys that Well, but not not the dinosaurs aren't back in time. We do get aliens back in time though. We do get aliens, but Cree specifically. Yeah, it's which so not is, as exciting. Right. But this is like that character where wherever she goes, the Cree are gonna go. Like anytime anything like that is going to be her main antithesis probably forever going forward. Is everything is gonna be Cree. I'm here, so the Cree must be here. I'm here, so this tech must be Cree. Like that's just how it's gonna work. Um, just like how if it's if it's Professor Xavier, then chances are Magneto's gonna show up. Exactly. Yeah. It's like this is how things work. Um, Wolverine's but, uh, there. Weapon X is gonna be involved. <laughs> yeah, that's true. If if Wolverine is there, then you're gonna see somebody from Weapon X. Like whoever's causing the issue was probably from his past in Weapon X. Um, and then. But the thing that I think was the weirdest part about the the time travel was just the conveyance to get there. Like, it wasn't like a ray beam, and it wasn't like uh, a machine going haywire. It was like an airplane? It was the presence of the plane. Just the presence. Right. Which I guess we find out is because the airplane had Kree tech on it or built into it. Is that what it was? I'm still confused as to what happened in that arc. So I think... I I mean I don't know what do you what do you Jenna what do you think? Honestly, I was I was definitely a little bit confused by it too. I think what I took from it was that so Helen had found that little piece of pre technology, and she used that as like the bargaining chip with Howard, right? Right. Um, and so I feel like that was kind of the catalyst, and that was a part of the plane because when you get to, we can do spoilers. I mean, we have to, right? Yeah, yeah, right. This is a, this okay. is like a six or seven year old book at this point. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Um, yeah, and so she, it, it seems like that was kind of a way to, that facilitated the time travel because since she'd already gone through it, she knew what to expect. And so that's why she left the note for Carol in the plane when she actually got back because she knew it had already happened because it already happened in her time. Yeah, yeah, I would say even more than that, that it, it is like this whole arc and the time travel thing sort of exists to make Captain Marvel like fully accept the mantle of Captain Marvel superhero. Yeah. And that's, I feel like that's kind of what the, like it was leading to. Cause they started out with her in, in the very, very first issue, her and Cap arguing and him really pushing her too. But she had that reluctance because of like the pressure and she didn't feel like she deserved it. Cause she had all this self doubt. And so, and so in f- like I, I did like do like a spit take when she took over the, took over as, um, I guess took over as Captain Marvel for a little bit and you realized she's the one that um, absorbed like the power or whatever. Um, but yeah, it was really surprising for me when that happened. I really wasn't expecting that. Yeah, and I, I almost feel like it's it's like Helen Cobb knew, like obviously she had been through it because time travel doesn't change the past um, in the way my mind time travel works like like it was all a setup it was all right supposed mm-hmm. to happen the way it happens because at the end of the volume she like says no i want to be captain marvel not you this is this is my thing which is the thing that she was waffling about at the beginning and like she she literally got the choice that she was wishing that she had the ability to make at the beginning of the book um 
which was, you know, do you want to leave this all behind and just be a pilot or do you want to accept this mantle and this power and, and to go do this thing? Um, I, I really liked the time travel element of it. And I don't know if it's, uh, cause I read this book recently, um, called the, uh, oh, what is it called? Um, it's lady astronaut volume one. It's just, it's this kind of pulpy, uh, science fiction book about an alternate history immediately after world war two in the United States where, um, like a catastrophic things happens and it accelerates the space race. Um, but one of the, the main character is a woman who's a pilot who is in uh, like the CBs and, and the group that the women that she meets up with in World War II were in ferrying um, planes back and forth for the war. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And so like I just read this book earlier this year. The book is called The Calculating Stars. Um, and uh, it's by Marie Robinette Kowal. But but that book talks a lot about, obviously it's like kind of alternate history, but it's rooted in the actual truth of like the women who flew during World War II. Um, and so like as soon as that popped up, I was like, oh, sweet. Like I'm into this. I've already, like I'm already kind of familiar with this. And, and I, I thought it was cool because there is sort of a lot of history like in real life with, um, women who were pilots and who did a lot involved with like aviation and with space and stuff like that in the the 40s and 50s and 60s who really don't get enough credit. And I mean, there's been a lot of stuff recently with like hidden figures and uh, there's been a lot of stuff about Margaret Hamilton, the woman who like wrote all the code that the lunar landers ran on and, and, um, and stuff like that. But it's it's cool to see all of that sort of get get put into this book and really sort of earlier in pop culture than a lot of this stuff has really resurfaced. I think that that's one of the things that the creators of this book really set out to do was definitely make it feel like this isn't an unusual thing to expect. Like it's not a gimmick to like recreate a, a female superhero. It's just hey, this character's been around for a really long time, just like all these other women have and all these other things that you probably don't know about, but let's all put them together and make it feel like this is the way it's always been and like really create that sense of unity rather than... Div- uh, I, I want to use the word diversity as in like diverting, but, but that's the wrong word. Um, like, a, like a feeling of, of unity around the idea of, hey, you know, women can do all the same things with all the same uh, levels of, of success. And um, this just happens to be from the point of view of a superhero. So you at least have a point of context. Yeah, I like that it, since it, it does have that kind of historical aspect, it brings like the lay person's or the, like, the lay woman's perspective to it because then you can understand that the struggles aren't just for specific superheroes, but for everyone. And that's something that, um, kind of, kind of is really consistent with Marvel. I feel because they are very, they do have a very like emotional backbone with their superheroes too, and it's always like some normal person that somehow became super, rather than oh, I'm from an alien planet and I have all these powers already. Right. And that's one of the things I like a lot about Marvel is that the their superheroes can be very, very human, and generally are. Yeah, and it's it's one of the sort of criticisms against Captain America that I hear sometimes is that he's 
at least now the way they write him, he's all cap all the time. Like there's never the human element. Right. It's the sort of the same complaint that people have about Superman. And I think that I think that that's why the Captain Marvel thing transferring to her another reason it was a big deal is because Captain Marvel was like that too. He was Marvel, the unstoppable Kree warrior who decided to protect Earth. And now it's an actual flawed human being, not some super alien. Which I think is, I mean, is more like Spider-Man, which is, uh, you know, really the, the, the model for most Marvel characters in a sense. It definitely is a brand. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I like it better when, when the characters are human and, like, aren't perfect. Speaking of uh, not perfect, in the next volume uh, that we read, it's, uh, it's very much about her sort of succumbing to human conditions, uh, whether that be like having to depend on people or fear or maybe managing a, her schedule, managing her <laughs> schedule or a brain tumor per chance. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's one of my favorite things about that second volume is it's it's it reminds me of um, actually her husband's uh, run of Hawkeye, um, Matt Fraction's Hawkeye run. And it's one of my favorite kind of styles of comics is when you put superheroes just in their normal human lives and realize that they deal with absolutely everything else that humans deal with. But on top of that, like the added pressure of, mm-hmm. you know, saving the world mm-hmm. <laughs> and that kind of thing. So and I, I love that because it's it's very normalizing. But at the same time, you get these extra factors that are just really hard for them to overcome. And you realize how much harder it is for them. While at the same time, that's literally what everyone else goes through. Yeah, I think the the last couple issues really drive that point home for me in the second volume. Like, first of all, I just want to say the second volume starts off really fun. <laughs> like, we get Monica Rambeau back, who is sort of like the Miss Marvel, I don't want to say sidekick, but like the secondary character. Like, she was sort of a, a, a Miss Marvel clone, almost. She like, was Captain Marvel. I know, but I'm talking about like from a literary standpoint, not from a literal standpoint. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, why don't you explain that a little bit if you can? I dare you. Ah, I can't. (laughs) Um, she has similar powers, but hers are like, she can control or become any element of the electromagnetic spectrum. Um, but yeah, I don't, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not up on, (laughs) I was not reading Marvel continuity when she became Captain Marvel. I only, my introduction to her is Warren Ellis's, um, Agents of Hate run. The Warren Ellis, John Cassidy, like totally ridiculous, over the top, silly Marvel book. She's in it. And they joke with her about, didn't she used to be Captain Marvel? Like a bunch of times. So that's how I know she's Captain Marvel. And that's literally all I know about the character. Um, I think it's really cool because it gives us another strong female character to, to bank on, but also creates... Once again, that, that feeling that this character has been around for a really long time and has a lot of history, even though this is probably your first time hearing about her at all. Um, and, and sort of like, especially that little editor's note about Monica being in like Avengers 291 and being like, hey, this character has a long history also because that issue came out a very long time ago. And also sort of lampshading that like she was Captain Marvel before and where she's like, you should have called me. And she's like, yeah, no, you're right. I should have I should have asked you. Yeah, if you it mind, was, if I it's take very the name much, Captain Marvel. Yeah, 
That's one of the things I love about comic books is I love not sometimes I do love not knowing like where things come from. Like when two when two characters have a quip um or like a reference and then I gotta go look it up or I gotta go read the thing. Um because then later it like it forces me to like go, okay, well I wanna understand this, so I gotta go learn it. And then once I learn it, and then it comes up again later in a different context between two other characters, I go, ha ha now I know. Validation. Yeah. It, <laughs> it's sort of just like it pays off down the road in some other in some other situation. Plus which it is, introduces you to other stuff. Oh yeah, totally. That was when I first started reading like Western comics and I would I just was binging like all the Civil War books and tie-ins and I just had my comics and then Wikipedia. <laughs> And I remember just, we were like laying down in like my childhood bedroom, just yeah. going down a wiki rabbit hole. Yeah, because for it's just hours, like, this leads to this leads to this. But then we go back and read the comics, and then like this weird third like C list character pops up, and we're like, oh shoot, we know who that is. Sort of. I mean, we didn't, we weren't there when when they were around or when they were created, but like from Wikipedia, at least to have an idea of what's happening, and it lends a little bit to the emotion. Um, and that's just one of the things that I love about like reading comics. Um, but in this case, we get, uh, we also get apparently an ex-boyfriend is what I got from context because oh, I did not wiki him. Yeah, I didn't either. Yeah. The name sounded familiar and I couldn't place it. And I think I'm just getting confused with an actual real life actor. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, wasn't that guy Crossbones? But that's somebody different. Yeah, I don't think he was. I think Crossbones is at this point just Crossbones. I don't think no, I mean was. like. Wasn't he the actor who played Crossbones in one of the Captain America movies? Oh, yeah, I have no idea. Thinking of it, I'm going to look it up now. Uh, All right, you look that up. Yeah, well. In the meantime, um, so we go from this, like, robot adventure. Wait, did you find it? Um, oh, okay. <laughs> Jenna was like, oh, and look, she's got a, an article in front of her. Um. <laughs> So we go from like this giant robot adventure, which I love because I always love punching giant robots. I'm okay with that. Um, and like a cool little uh, like heartfelt ending, which was nice. Um, straight into, first of all, the different artists that we were talking about. Um, this one is, uh, what am I looking at? Felipe Andrade, whose art style is drastically different than the previous issues. Oh, is that the one? Um, this is... Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dexter Soy is very like it's like oil paints, mm-hmm. and then um, the Felipe Andrade is like watercolors with like I think, crazy florid line work. I think that the line work comes down more to um, like caricatures. Like everybody's a caricature, but after a while, like at first it was a little, you know, a little daunting, a little weird. Um, but then as I got into it, I started like to actually really enjoy it. It ends. It lends a sense of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, like vulnerability. Vulnerability is good. What, that's that's what I got from it because especially with the um, like the the tumor thing. Oh uh, yeah. And like, the like the characters don't look completely solid. Like you feel like there's something not right there. I was gonna say dynamic also. Okay. You get a layer of dynamicism that if you were just drawing straight normal anatomy that you wouldn't get. Like in this style, you can stretch, you can, um, you can blend, you can uh, erase certain postures or or lines or something like that, and it all comes out uh, looking just fine. In fact, looking really cool because there's no like the rules are already broken 
um, in the art. You don't have to worry about, oh, this person's arm is bending the wrong way, because it looks like most people's arms are bending the wrong way in every scene. Um, well, and I think that like it, it kind of works both ways because it's it's much it's very very expressive, so you can do really cartoony things with faces, which does lend to like feeling the emotions more for characters and sort of that vulnerability. I think that Jenna's talking about because like in a with an artist who just draws everybody scowling or who uses who has a lot of same face, like you can't get the emotional range across. Right. Yeah, like there's a lot of really good shading in this that, like, here, like obviously we can't see it, but I'll shut down. Uh, what issue is it? Uh, it's so the second issue. Well, obviously. This is the second volume, and it is page 82 in the volume. Yeah, but like in that, in that top left-hand corner, like just the shading on her cheek and like her expression, like kind of like what Ryan was saying, like it definitely exhibits a lot more affect than you would be able to see in any other sort of art style previous to this. Mm-hmm. Is this like the top of a couple of pages into issue nine? Like where she's talking to Tony Stark? Uh, no, it's a little bit past that where she's talking to Cap on the motorcycle. But yeah, in general. Um, I, ha- I like the first page of the, I think it's the third issue of, and it's like her in space and she's just all stretched. Like the whole thing is like stretched out. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Um, and, uh, and she's doing a soliloquy where she's like falling back in the atmosphere and she wakes up from her dream. Um, so this one's like a little more like villain of the week style, like a little bit more, Hey, there's a evil person who's mysterious and that looks like there are other mysterious things going on. And she's dealing with, uh, among other things, like a busy schedule, but also she finds out that she has this weird brain mass. And it, she flies anymore under her own power. It's going to expand and possibly kill her. And she's also trying to like figure out a job, and like have a life. Right. Exactly. While getting kicked out of her, evicted from her apartment building. Yeah. Right. Like it is very much like like Hawkeye in that way. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Like superheroes having to deal with very normal things. Uh. But yeah, it, it's. I I like the fact that they took away one of her major. Like, I would say that being being able to, the power of flight and the power of super strength and all the other stuff, she, like, she has a very um, versatile and sort of unbelievable superpower set, and they found a way to neuter one of those. It was a superhero version of, like, a handicap. Exactly. And, yeah. which makes her, like, a more, um, like, a more interesting character, like a character who could fly but can't, and so she has to work around that, but also has dire consequences. It's not just, like, Oh, all of a sudden you can't fly. It's like, no, you can, but it might kill you. And I, I love how at the end, like, um, they talked about how, oh, he knew that your pride would get in the way. Oh, yeah. Because I feel like pride is just such a prevalent kind of theme in m- almost every single superhero comic book I've ever read. Um, like, there's always some aspect of pride there that a lot of times wasn't there before they became superheroes. No, sometimes it was. It definitely was for her with the flight thing, but... Yeah, I mean, we got to talk about Hal Jordan, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) That's fair, yeah. Well, and it's... I mean, it makes sense because to a certain extent, like, who are you to become this hero, to become this vigilante? Mm -hmm. And that's... Honestly, nobody else seems to have a problem with that except for her. Like, she's the one that keeps thinking that more than other people do. 
I mean, that's... Like, it, and, and her neighbor, Mr. Zimmerman. Yeah, with the exception <laughs> of her neighbor, who's a total jerk. But everybody else believes in her and thinks that she can do this and, like, trusts her. The only person who thinks that, you know, she may not be worthy or able to pull this off is herself. Yeah, it's... it's... Which is one of the reasons I like her so much, because she reminds me of... Um, what's her name? What's her name? Jessica Cruz. Yeah. In that way, because all of... all You're right, all of the self-doubt she has is her, no matter how much other people are validating her telling her she's doing a good job or cheering her like there's n- she has such a hard time and she really struggles with having any belief in herself and that's something that comes out a lot and i think in the art for this one specifically like oh yeah where she's like that's, that's what we were talking about is like that very cartoony um over stylistic design really lends itself to putting emotion on faces without having to worry about, you know, the mouth being too big. Yeah. And even when she's angry, like, there's a lack of facial expression that says a lot, too. Yeah. Um, so as far as the, the characters go, um, I think that, I mean, Carol Danvers is one of them. We talked about Monica Rambeau. But what's with Tracy? Oh, yeah. I was going to ask you guys for a little bit of history on that, because I don't know who that old woman is. It just seems like she's her charge, but I'm not 100% sure as to her origin in the series, if she's a new character that they pulled out, or if she has some sort of back history. Ryan, do you know? Um, I can look it up, but... Why does Jessica Drew know her, and why does she not like Jessica Drew? Nobody likes Jessica Drew. She's a jerk. Huh. I, I think that... That's she... not fair. I mean, honestly, I'm not totally sure where that character comes from, but I like that she has this, like, cantankerous older lady that she's like friends with and also adversaries with right sort of like her mean old conscience yeah to a certain extent um well, it's, it's, it's another like way somebody to keep who's, her grounded yeah it's gonna keep somebody who's gonna keep you grounded and not gonna like put up with your crap mm-hmm. and hold her accountable for not flying and killing yourself probably the only person she actually that got her to agree to that um, but then the second volume, of course, ends on a cliffhanger with a cool villain reveal, um, which I was, I kind of liked, uh, I kind of wanted to see where that, that went. Um, what'd you think of that? Uh, first of all, Jan Rog is a, a very deep pull, it seems like, although not as deep as you would expect. They, I mean, they, I didn't know who Jan Rog was before reading this, but you get enough from the first volume. Yeah. From the bits of time travel to figure out, oh yeah, Jan Rog was the bad guy whose actions caused her to become Captain Marvel. Yeah. He's he's the bad guy. He's also Kree. So once again another Kree tie in there. Um but it ends with that and so I I honestly it just made me want to jump into a third volume immediately. That's yeah, how they same. get you. Yeah, that's, that's how they, the that's how they get way. all your money. Um, but other than, I don't know, like, this this whole experience of reading Volume 1 and Volume 2 and seeing, like, the rebirth and the rebranding of a character all the way to the end of the second volume where we see her go through at least three different missions or tribulations and then feeling, like, a sense of camaraderie and interest in this character is, in my opinion, very impressive. Like, to, to go through all of that in a matter of just two volumes. And there's definitely a really fast kind of emotional attachment to her that was a lot quicker than 
maybe some other superheroes I've read in the past because because of all the human experiences and the human issues that you as a reader can relate to also and that feeling of like having to be empowered and doing it for yourself yeah yeah um so you guys want to talk about the movie i was gonna say i think the book really does a good job of establishing the human side of her and i think that's where the character matters like i mean to, to talk about the distinguished competition like i've read a lot of i read a decent amount of like uh, Scott Snyder Batman and stuff and like having unstoppable CSI Batman is cool but like mm-hmm. eventually it's sort of boring because it's like oh well what is he going to do this time whereas this one it's it's less about like is she going to be able to punch these dinosaurs good enough and more of like man is she going to like get there in time for her friend's surgery that was yeah man yeah. that was kind of brutal like that's like like that's the kind of drama that I want out of a superhero book and I know that I'm probably not the norm on that one. <laughs> I mean, but I agree with you. I, but, I even even like every couple of pages where they had the new schedule, which had to be written out. I think that caused me more anxiety than worrying about her not being able to fly. Yeah, because her schedule kept changing. Yeah, that was honestly that was a really good way also to uh, like fill in like because each one of those was a new issue. So if you pick the issue. Marvel always does a recap page, mm. and I love it when they do a creative recap page. Me too. And that was perfect. Yeah. Oh, I looked up Tracy. Mm. Uh, Tracy's Ooh, part of the history of Carol Danvers as Miss Marvel. Huh. So Carol Danvers started a magazine called Woman Magazine, and Tracy was brought on as a journalist, and Carol was the editor, but Tracy ended up running the magazine a lot because Carol was off being Miss Marvel. And eventually, J. Jonah Jameson fires Carol, and Tracy's the editor. <laughs> Got it. That makes a lot of sense with the stuff you read, too. Oh, I have a question for you guys. What's that? Can you guys give me a little bit of backstory about the sash? Um, I think that it was intended to be a carryover from the Miss Marvel costume, because mm-hmm. that was just, like, her black and yellow, and then she had the sash. And it was just supposed to, like, tie it together and also, like... No, I mean, is it, like, made of something? Because she mentioned that in the first issue, and I wasn't sure if that was, like, a one-off or... Her whole costume is made of energy, which is why she can, like, flip back and forth in it. I don't think the sash is... The sash is some sort of stark, super whatever. Is it? I didn't get that from that. She puts it on on Crusher Creel, on um, Absorbing Man. Yeah. No, I got that, but I just figured that was because her costume was made of energy because she flips back and forth in it. That's true. She does flip back and forth in another costume using right. the power I guess it's of my turn. superhero. Look it up. Uh, uh, oh, have we talked enough about the book? Do you want to talk about the movie now? Sure, we can talk about the movie. Um, so I liked it. No <laughs> sash in the movie. Right? <laughs> um, there was no sash. There was a lot of snark like in the movie. And I think that having not read this, going to see it, but like having a general idea of the character, I think it definitely came off um, a little more aggressive than I thought she would, like in the movie. I thought she was going to be at least a little more um, reserved and and confident rather than like snarky and confident. But then after reading this, I'm like, oh, no, it's one for one. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
yeah, I I saw the movie first, but I, I thought it sort of worked with her character, and then having this sort of like a deeper dive into her character that it like super works. I guess. Yeah. Um, but uh, and it makes sense with her history being like one of the few female pilots in the Air Force. You know, you kind of have to develop that kind of like tough skin and general demeanor to even, you know, make it in a boys club. Mm-hmm. True. Uh, are we all just looking up Sash stuff now? No, I, I, I stuff. <laughs> oh, okay, because I was doing that. Um, <laughs> so I, I thought that, oh, another thing that was interesting, Ryan, in the, uh, in the editorials was somebody that said, maybe one day we'll get to see uh, Captain Marvel in an Avengers movie. Oh, oh. oh that's funny. And that was in 2014. That's, that's, yep, five years later, here we are. Man, that's so crazy, right? It's, it's just like, it's oh, pretty yeah, nuts. Maybe, maybe one day we'll get this new awesome character in Avengers movie. And then not only that, she's like the strongest Avenger. <laughs> yeah, it really, I, I remember like sort of that feeling and it really felt like a pipe dream. Like, yeah. Oh, they'll never do that. You know, they, there's too many other dumb characters they've got to put in there. True. We got a Captain Marvel movie before we got like a Black Widow movie. That's and true. like that was sort of that was being talked about forever. Yeah. I mean, I never thought that there would be a good Thor movie. <laughs> true. It it did look like it was gonna be hard to pull off. And even the first one was like, okay, I guess they did it. And then it didn't get really good until Ragnarok. Ragnarok. Oh yeah. Because <laughs> Ragnarok was so good. And then obviously and then Infinity War. I really like Thor in Infinity War, to be honest. Yeah. I think yeah, he had a really absolutely. good thread. Um Jen, what did you what did you take away from now having read this in comparison to the movie? Did you get did you take away anything from it? Did any of it make more sense, less sense? Well, so I had actually I'd read both of these right previously before seeing the movie. So I think I went in with a little bit more understanding of what to expect from that character than you did since you had read this afterwards. That's fair. Um so honestly, it, it matched really well. There were just a lot of inconsistencies in the backstory. But do. I think that worked out really well for the movie because, you know, they need to keep everything condensed and managed in terms of time and fit into, like, the movie universe. Um, I actually, I really like how they changed her backstory in the movie. And that stuff usually upsets me. <laughs> Even then, it was pretty close. <laughs> it was. It wasn't too bad. Like, they, they definitely adapted it for the movie, which is kind of what the MCU does. Yeah. Um, the MCU definitely like does a good job of taking canonical comics like six one six um origins and sort of mixing them, rewriting them, or uh, or maybe just stealing from like the Ultimate Universe, which is the they really did that at the very beginning of the MCU. They basically just said we're gonna take most of the uh, Ultimate Universe stuff and make that the MCU, um, rather than the normal six one six stuff, um. But since then, they've done a good job of remix, remixing it all. Um, and I definitely think Captain Marvel had a nice, cohesive, um, pretty easy to understand and easy to follow through with origin story. Although, I gotta say, the twist with the scrolls, which I don't want to reveal on the show yet, <laughs> uh, the twist with the scrolls in yeah. Captain Marvel, I thought was genius. Yeah, I honestly. It. That was really cool. I thought it was going to go a totally different way. And then I'm like, oh, I guess we're going with this. Great. But, I, but that's like, great. It's never gone that way in Marvel comics. And I remember seeing some tweets right after the movie came out that is like, oh, man, what are they going to do in Marvel comics now that this now that this has happened in the movies? Because They'll Marvel comics it, has yeah. never done that. The scrolls have always been. The scrolls. Yeah. 
Man, that's crazy. That's a good point. I could have swore that I remember... We'll talk about it off-air if you don't want to spoil it, but... um. I could have swore I remembered something like that happening in the comics, but I guess I'm wrong. But it probably was retconned, you know, the next, the next run. Right. And we never thought about it again. Was that right after Secret Invasion? Yeah. Because I have that same, like, weird deja vu-y kind of... Yeah, we'll have to talk about it later. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the book. That's the characters. We talked about the art a heck of a lot. Um, any final thoughts? I really think that if you like the movie, that reading these two trades will deepen your enjoyment of the character and explain the character more in a way that doesn't, even though the backstory is slightly different, it, it, it builds upon the movie. Yeah. I definitely got more of an emotional attachment from the book than the movie, but that really contributed to when I watched it too. I had a lot of fun watching the movie. Um, but I really enjoyed the lore aspect because that's like the nerd part of me when it comes to comics is the lore side of reading the books. And I think that um, while the movie did a good job of introducing a mainstream audience to this character, like the comic books community definitely got the better end of it for for actually being able to like read this, in my opinion. And and like the first trade is is almost an atomic robo story like it could be that's true it totally is that's a is. good point that's a good point man actually. we gotta read some atomic robo on the show well we gotta read you guys haven't like, yet specifically see she devils of the pacific <laughs> <laughs> good call all right uh well ryan do you think we should read this uh yeah you know what i would say um you should read this what do you all think i definitely think you should read this yes all right. Well, cool. this is a great discussion. Uh, uh, let's do outros and stuff. Uh, Jen, do you have uh, like a social media or anything that you care about giving out to people so they can ask you more about this? I mean, my Instagram is Jenna Blush. I don't use Twitter very much, to be completely honest. Yeah. I get most of my Twitter information from you. That's fair. But my Twitter is at Jenna Blush also. Okay. Ryan, what about you? Uh, I'm on Twitter, Ryan Roop, R-Y-A-N-R-U-P-P-E. I'm on Instagram on that also. Uh, you can find me at Marginally Talented, M-R-G-N-L-Y Talented on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, my Instagram is where I draw things. If you want to see the cool stuff that I draw, you can go there. Um, other than that, are we? Uh, should we announce what we're doing next time? Do we do that on this show? I don't remember. No, we don't. Um, but All we right. can tell people how to, how to find the show. It's uh at you should read this comics on instagram and facebook and ysrt comics on twitter uh we're on all of the podcast apps tell your friends word of mouth is very important yeah um if you could just give us a five-star rating you don't have to leave a review that would be fine but reviews also very much help us because it makes it seem like uh we're not just doing it ourselves yeah if there's like a thumbs up option in spotify or whatever make it happen all right Thanks for listening. You're the best. Love you guys. Bye. Peace out.